Judges chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 1. That's what the Bible says. It says, when Ehud was dead, we talked about Ehud last week. Remember, he was the left-handed deliverer. The children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin of Las Vegas. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Jabin, he's a friend of mine. I don't know why his parents named him Jabin. That's the evil king in the Bible. Anyhow, in the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazer. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harosheth. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron. And for 20 years, he had harshly oppressed the people of Israel. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded... Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men and the sons of Natali and the sons of Zebulun. And against you, I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with its chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. What a strong indicator of what Deborah's presence meant to this people and what Deborah was carrying if she were to go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you're taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. She's not talking about herself. She's talking about another woman. Just a housewife who would take a tent stake and drive it through the head of Sisera. Man, I love the book of Judges. (laughs) Wow. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to us. Thank you for your word that has something to say to us in every season, to every person, male, female, to every man, woman, and child to every race, to every nation, to every tongue. Your word has a word and your word is for them. It is for everyone. There aren't certain parts of the Bible for women and certain parts for men, but you wrote this Bible for all of us. You gave us this word for all of us and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Judges chapter 4 is a cool story of a woman named Deborah, this general named Barak, uh, this man who would eventually meet a terrible end in Sisera, and this other king named Jabin. Now, the people of God are in this situation because the people of God have an issue that many of us, I would dare to say all of us have in this room. They have this reality, as a friend of mine likes to say, he calls it a reality of duality. There is this part of them that is alive unto God and they want to worship God, but they are also living in a fallen 
world and they are living in this flesh that desires the things of this world. And they are wrestling back and forth with those things. So they would find themselves very on fire for God. And then they would find themselves very apathetic about God. And they would fall into idol worship. And the Bible says that they would be given into the hand of these foreign kings. And these kings would oppress them. And then the people of God would cry out for help. I, I love this because it's, it's so meaningful to me in that it, my life is not going to be full void of trouble but if I just have sense enough to cry out to God he will help me come on it doesn't matter how good I've been how bad I've been how many years I've missed it how many years I've been oppressed if I will cry out to God if I can just have the sense enough to say God I'm at the end of me I need you is there anybody in this room thankful today that no matter how long it's been when we cry out to God he hears our voice. And when God hears their cry, he raises up this woman named Deborah. And the Bible says that she is judging the people. She is leading the people. She is also a prophet and she is married. I, I, I love it because in the Bible with men, it doesn't usually give this many descriptors, descriptors because I don't think men can multitask this well. I mean, she's a prophet, she's a wife, she's leading the people of God, she's making judgments about her life, she's also having to step in and take leadership of the military because Barack does not want to really do his job. What a woman. Anybody in the room know a woman like that who can multitask, who's just, can we just be honest, they're just better than us. They're just, they're just better than us. But I love this story because it reminds me that God gives the same gifts to women as he does to men. When we read about the gifts in the New Testament, we don't read a separate list for women and a separate list for men. As far as the gifts that God gives, they are not gender related. They are for men and for Women. Anybody in the room thankful for that today? But God does throughout the scripture teach us that there is a specific role that a man is to play and a specific role that a woman is to play. And I love this because the Bible doesn't just mention her as a prophetess and a leader, but it says that she's married. She's, she's actually married to a man named Lipideth. And this guy's, this guy's story is not really big, but his name is huge. The Bible says that this guy's name means fire or torches. And it takes a man on fire for God, a man that is sure of himself, a man whose life is like a torch of fire, to be able to be married to a woman who has this much ability. To be able to encourage her and exhort her and push her into everything that God has called her to do. This cannot be a weak man. This is a man on fire. This is a man who knows who he is. It's only a man who's intimidated who couldn't be married to a woman like this. It's only a weak man who couldn't be married to a woman like this. And so Lipideth is a big deal in this story. Even though his story isn't big, he's a massive character in this story. And a woman like this cannot be married to anything less than a man on fire. So can I, can I just encourage you in here today? Ladies, stop looking for a man whose Instagram pics are fire. <laughs> and look for a man who actually has the fire of God on his life. 
That'll tweet. It's a wild thing. Now, the Bible says this about her. It says she's a prophetess. She's, she's a wife. She's a leader. And it says that she sets herself up. She's sitting under a palm tree between Ramah and between Bethel. She's in a very, uh, a very spiritually serious location. This would be a location throughout Scripture that would be uh, mentioned often. This is this is a place where Abraham would set up. This this is a place that that the if if you read this story and you understand Israel's history, this is a very important place. This place speaks of relationship with God. Um, this place speaks of a person who represents God. This person represent. This place speaks of a person who would speak on behalf of God. That's a powerful relationship to have. That you would be one who speaks on. Behalf of God. And the Bible says that that Deborah is not just leading because some man is not stepping up to the plate. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I heard one commentator one time try to describe the story and to try to describe why Deborah was leading the entire nation and giving orders. He was saying it's because the men were so morally bankrupt in the culture that only a woman could lead. But I got a problem with that is that the Bible does not say that. Deborah is not leading because no men would step up. Deborah is leading because she is the one God has said is to do this job. Come on, somebody. And it doesn't matter how you feel. (laughs) She's leading because God has decided she's the one. And so she calls for Barak. Well, Robbie, she's she's leading, but she's she's not in charge of of the military. Barack is in charge of the military. Well, you didn't read the story because all throughout the story, she's telling the military what to do. Okay, all right. Nobody wants to hear this today, but I don't care. I'm going to preach it anyway. Doors are there and over there and you can exit these ones as well. (laughs) So she calls Barak, the Bible says she summons him. And uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't seem to, to matter this call. He shows up quickly. And when she speaks to him, she actually challenges him. The way the Hebrew puts this and the way the New King James Version puts this is, is it, she says to him, has the Lord not commanded? In other words, she's saying there's something that God spoke to you and you're not obeying God. Something God told you to do, and you're not doing what God told you to do. Has God not said? See, a lot of people running around looking for the will of God. Let me simply give you the will of God. Here, here, you can leave today not confused about what the will of God is for your life. A lot of people come to church and they want to know, what is the will of God for my life? I'm about to tell you what the will of God is for your life. The will of God is that you would obey the word of God. Has God not said? And our problem is not that we can't really hear what God is speaking now. It's that we didn't listen to what God has already declared. Robbie, I want my life to change. Your life would change if you would just obey like even 80% of what you know the Bible teaches. All right. The will of God is that you would obey the word of God and they are not losing and they are not suffering and they are not, they are not in, under the hand of oppression of the enemy for 20 years because they don't have a word or they don't have the weapons. They are losing because they won't obey. Hallelujah. They have a word. She said, has God not said? 
God is speaking a word that if you will obey it, it will bring victory. And there's a lot of confidence from this woman to speak to this commander of the armies this way. And what I notice about Deborah is throughout this story, there is not a, there is not a lack of confidence. There is not a, there is not a hint of insecurity. She knows who she is. She knows what she can do and she knows what her role is. She knows that it is her role to command the military. It is not her role to go out and fight in this particular battle. So she's trying to get Barak to do what God has commanded him to do. And this strength and this confidence and this security came out of her relationship with God. A strong spirit and a strong relationship with God is the cure for all fear in your life. She operates in authority. She operates in authority. Proverbs 16 and 7 says this, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. And so many of us are just struggling with our, with our, with our friends and our family. Some of you are like, my family is my enemy. I, I understand that. But so many of us are struggling even just with the people that like us. But the Bible says that when you have a way that pleases God, he will give you so much authority that even your enemies will be at peace with you. The Bible says that Israel, all of Israel is coming up to her and asking her to make judgments about their daily lives. Proverbs 9 and 10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Catch that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What that means is that I don't begin to walk in authority until I understand authority. And she understood that I must submit my whole life to God. And if I'll submit my life to God, I'll be able to have the correct judgments about this people. I'll be able to know that when God speaks to me, it's God speaking to me. I'll be able to have the confidence to not only hear what he has to say, but say what he has to say and do what he tells me to do. There's an authority that comes with a right standing with God. Second Chronicles 26 and 5 says of a man named Uzziah, it says this, it says, He sought the Lord during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And there are a lot of people wondering where success is. Success is not found in the amount of money you make or the size of the house you can build or, or the amount of people buying your products. Success is found in doing what God has commanded you to do. That's true success. And the Bible says not only does she have authority, but she's a leader. She's, she's actually leading. I love how the, how the New King James puts it. It says she was leading the people. It doesn't say she was ruling the people because you can be a ruler and not a leader. You can be in charge and not leading because leadership is more than a title. It's an ability. And leadership, watch this, in this story, her leadership, it, it flows. It isn't forced. She doesn't run around throwing her title around. She doesn't run around saying, I know I'm a woman, but you got to listen to what I'm trying to say. No, her leadership is so strong. Her relationship is so strong. She has so much authority that leadership just flows. 
God doesn't have to say, hey, listen, I know she's a woman, but I, I need you to obey her. Her leadership commands it. Forced leadership is a dictatorship. But Israel gladly followed her leadership. John Maxwell said years ago, he said, everything rises and falls on leadership. Not gift, not talent, but leadership. If you want to increase your authority, you don't need a new title. You don't need to run around throwing around the title you do have. You must increase your capacity to lead. When, when outcomes are far lower than input, it's not a failure of work. It's a failure of leadership. If you're working yourself to the bone, but you have nothing to speak for it, then it's not your effort that is in question. It's your leadership that is in question. Because you can be extremely gifted and frustrated, extremely talented and frustrated, work 90 hours a week and frustrated. Come on, somebody. Because just because you're in charge doesn't mean you're leading. And let me, let me give you something very particular about leadership. And I want to speak to the men for just a moment. Judges chapter 5, verse 2, the Bible says Deborah and Barak, they get together and they write this song. And in the song in Judges chapter 5, verse 2, the Bible says this. It says, when the princes lead, the people worship. When the leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, the people praise the Lord. That's what the Bible's saying there. When leaders lead, then the people will offer themselves and then the people will bless the Lord. The, the word for leaders there is, is not actually leaders. The word for leaders there is princes, not princesses, princes. In other words, Deborah is singing because remember her challenge is to a man. She says, God has given you a word and if you'll obey it, we will win. And so when she writes this song, she writes this song and she says, when princes lead, when the people offer themselves, <laughs> the greatest threat to men is not doing evil. The greatest threat to men is doing nothing. In Genesis chapter 3, there we read the story of the original sin with Adam and Eve. And the Bible says there that when Satan was tempting Eve and he was offering her the fruit, the Bible says that she takes the fruit and she hands it to her husband who was with her. So many times we read that story and we're like, man, if Adam was just there, he could have talked Eve out of that. No, Adam was there and he did nothing. So before Adam and Eve did something, Adam did nothing. The temptation of men is not evil, it's nothing. And our culture is suffering because men are absent in the fight. And, and I want to I say this to you, and I want to challenge you in this. And this is, this is just based on some church statistics. So right now, the, the Baptist organizations that are sending out missionaries into the world, they, they released a study that said... When it comes to the harshest places in the world to preach the gospel and the harshest, harshest places in the world to live and be a missionary, that women applicants outnumber men four to one. 
What is happening in the church when women are signing up at a rate four to one men to go to the most difficult places in the world? And I know it's quiet in here right now, and I know that's frustrating, but that's a clear picture. If that's happening in the church, what is happening in the world we live in? Men, it is time to stop giving in to a culture that is trying to emasculate you and make you less than. If, ever, if you have ever been a man, now is the time to be a man. <laughs> Promise Keepers did a study years ago. In the Baptist press, they, they did a survey and they found that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there's a three and a half percent probability everyone in the household will follow. If the mother is the first to become a Christian, there's a 17 percent probability everyone in the household will follow. However, when the father is first, there is a 93 percent probability everyone else in the household will follow. That is not saying that women are less than. That is just saying, men, you have a particular role to play. And it's time for us to play that role. There's a book by a lady named Meg Meeker. She's a doctor. She wrote a book called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. And she was interviewing girls who had been harmed or assaulted or raped. And she was getting their stories about what they were thinking during their assault. Or, and it wasn't just rape, but it was just being humiliated or, or picked on or bullied. And most of them, their immediate thought went to their, them trying to defend themselves, Right? Because when you're under attack, your immediate thought is, but when you're weaker than your attacker, their next thought was about who would respond to this for them. And when girls didn't have a father, it led to, their assault led to severe, severe depression. When the father would respond the way they were imagining the father respond as they were being harmed. They were able to come out of it. So listen, it wasn't what happened to them. That pushed them into depression. It was the lack of response. Of the father. Or the lack of a father. When they were being harmed, they were thinking, my dad's going to get this guy back. And when he didn't, it threw him into depression. So that, that part of you, dad, that's like, I'll kill somebody. You keep that. And you don't let, listen to me, you don't let the world talk you out of being that father whose first response is to hurt anybody. I'm not saying you should go Liam Neeson. 
I'm just saying you should at least respond. There should at least be a confrontation of some sort. Okay. But if you just want to keep going fishing and keep going to the golf course while your daughters are suffering, you go ahead and keep watching a generation of girls go into depression and struggle with their identity and struggle with their sexuality and struggle like that. But if real dads will step up, man, I know this is frustrating right now and I'm not talking, I'm not looking at anybody specific. I'm literally looking at the back wall as I'm talking right now. But I'm just telling you, if we want this culture to change, if we want the world to change, then men, we've got to be men. We cannot be confused about our identity. We cannot be confused about our role. We must be men. In Judges chapter 5, verse 23, the Bible says, Deborah, as she's singing that song, she gets down, she's listing all of the different groups of people that helped and she gets to this group of people that didn't help she says curse Miraz curse them said the angel of the Lord cursed its inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to help they didn't come to help and if we just sit back and we watch our world go into chaos and don't rush in to help. I wonder if the angel of the Lord says the same thing about us. Miraz, the, the name of that people meant refuge. They were supposed to be a safe place. Some people think, well, nobody will listen to me, Rob. Well, very often that's a you problem and not a people problem. Because most people don't respond to bad leadership. Here's, here, let me give you just maybe, let me just give you one reason why people aren't responding to your leadership. Sometimes people don't respond to your leadership because you don't know how to lead you. And if people, and if people cannot see you leading you, why would they want to be led by you? And so if you are a father and you, are, you, you have no ability to, to lead yourself, you have no self-control, you can't control your anger, you, you can't control your drinking, you can't, you can't control your addictions, you, you can't, then there's no wonder they won't follow. Because the most important person that you lead is you. And if you can lead you, if it got, that's why the Bible says if you can just, if I can, if I can, if I can trust you with just the little thing that is what I've given you responsibility for, then I can give you more. But if I can't trust you with you, how can I trust you with others? So it's not enough, men, to just step up and say, I'm a man. Listen to me. Follow me. Do what I say. No. If you will do what God says, then people will not have a problem doing what you say. Ah. But I think in our culture, we've overemphasized gifts and underestimated leadership. That's why men are content to just bring a check home, make sure the bills are paid. But that's not our only responsibility. There's more. And if Deborah can be a prophet, a wife, and a leader of hundreds of thousands of people, then by God, we can lead our own homes. Okay. 
this relationship with God she had didn't just give her authority. It gave her audacity. The word audacity, I love it because it means it, it's the willingness to make a bold decision. She said, has not the Lord said, see, the power of prayer, the power of Bible study, the power of relationship with God is hearing and doing what God says. And when we hear and do what God says, all things are possible. (laughs) And I wrote this down. Listen, the only way not to be buried in impossibility is to rise in spirituality. And so many of us are buried with impossible situations, but we refuse to rise up in our spiritual walk with God. We are buried in impossibility, but we refuse to dig deeper in our prayer life. We are buried in impossibility, but we refuse to fast. We, we are buried in responsibility, but we refuse to make sure we are in the house of God with our family. We are buried in impossibility, but we refuse to serve in God's house. We are buried in impossibility, but refuse to grow spiritually. And you will stay under that impossibility until you rise above it in the spirit because it's not going to be by your might and it is not going to be by your power but it is going to be by his spirit that you destroy the works of the enemy in your life this relationship with God not only leads to authority and audacity but it leads to supernatural activity As she's singing this song in Judges chapter 5, she says that the heavens fought. The heavens poured out water. She said the mountains shook. She said in Judges 5 and 20, she says from the heavens the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. This is powerful because it means when I leave this place today and I walk out and I I rise up in whatever God has called me to do, whether you're a man or a woman or a child, I don't know what your age is. I don't know what your race is. I don't know what your gender is. But I just know that when you leave this place, that if you will rise up spiritually, not only will you rise up, but the, the, (laughs) the heavens will rise up and the stars will take notice. And when you start to fight for your family and fight for your ministry and fight for your life and fight for this generation the bible teaches us that you're not fighting by yourself but that the stars are fighting with you and that the heavens are fighting with you and that the mountains are shaking in recognition of what you were doing i i don't need my i don't need just just you know a a good helping hand i need the stars to fight and the things that we're facing right now we need a miracle from heaven and listen, the thing about spiritual strength is it doesn't just give you spiritual strength. It gives you physical strength. First Kings 18 and 46 says the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he gathered up his garment and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Ahab was on a chariot with a horse. And this man, the Bible said, picked up his garment and he ran and he outran a chariot. Goodness, that's what the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord can do in your life. When you have a relate, when you have a powerful relationship with God, the hand of the Lord is on your life. It doesn't just give you strength spiritually, it gives you strength physically. Judges 14 and 6, we're going to talk about Samson here in a few weeks. But the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. As he might have torn a young goat. I'm like, I can't even tear a young goat. 
much left. But he's like, a goat is nothing for Samson. He tore this lion like he tore a goat. In other words, I'm thinking, I tore a goat <laughs> like I tore a piece of paper. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's on my level. <laughs> I'm not at, I might not be at lion level yet, but bless God, I'm at paper level, so that means I can at least get a get a goat and you might not think of yourself as very spiritual but everybody in the room has to start somewhere everybody in the room has to start somewhere you're like i can't fast 40 days try to i I can't give that much try a little bit i can't serve like try something but don't just sit back like moraz and do nothing whatever your hand finds to do do it with all of your might whatever you have in front of you give it all of you proverbs 3 and 7 says do not be wise in your own eyes fear the lord and shun evil this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones every time you say no to your flesh you strengthen not just your spiritual man but your physical man gets stronger It makes you perceptive. A relationship with God like this makes you perceptive. Matthew 6 and 22 says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Everybody everybody looks at prophetic stuff and they think it's so just weird and strange. And that's honestly because the people who claim to be prophets have made it so weird and strange. They have made themselves like this class of elite people that God only talks to them. And if you don't listen to them, and that's just not the New Testament picture of prophecy. That's not the New Testament. It's not the New Testament picture of prophecy. And going on YouTube and acting like you're the prophet to the nations is not the New Testament picture of prophecy. Prophets were subject to the leadership of the church. And if you're on YouTube and you got a YouTube channel and you're prophesying to the world, but you don't have a local church structure and a pastor who's judging those words, then you are not a prophet. You, you are a, well, you are, you're a false one. And there's severe, I just, I, just, I just challenge you to look at the Bible, even the New Testament. There's severe judgment for false prophets. All righty. <laughs> and I say all of that to tell you that prof- prophecy in the prophetic is actually the natural realm of God. Like visions and dreams. Joel said, in the last days... I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Well, if you read what prophecy is and where prophecy is done, most prophecy is done in the church. And if women are supposed to not speak in church, then why would God give them the gift of prophecy so that they could speak a prophetic word in church? Okay. This is, the, this is the, the natural realm of your life is prophecy, it's dreams, it's visions, it's words of wisdom, words of knowledge. The Bible talks constantly about spiritual eyes, ears, that you would increase in wisdom, increase in understanding and insight. And that should be the case because John 16 and 13 says when Jesus leaves, he says when, when he's leaving, he's telling the disciples, he's like, when he comes, the spirit of God, he's the spirit of truth. He comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears and he will tell you what is to come. That's prophecy. 
there should be in the life of every believer an ability by the Spirit to perceive not only the day we're living in, but what is coming. And, 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 and for so many of you, your problem is that you have, you have given up something that belongs to you and you have put it in the hands of someone else. You, you, you put all your Bible study in someone else's hands. You put all your prayer in someone else's hands. You put all the insight in someone else's hands. You put all the prophetic in someone else's hands. And, and, and very often, and very often you, you come to church not to really join with other believers and express worship to God and hear a word that's going to that's gonna equip you to do the work of the ministry. But very often you come to church for someone else to fill in the gaps for your lack of relationship with God. Man, that's tough. And I found myself, I found myself doing that as the pastor. Using my Bible study as the, the means by which I, I have relationship with God. And, 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 and I don't want to have just a relationship with God that just gets in the Bible and studies and reads and prays to get a message together. No more than I want you to, to have a relationship with God that comes here so that I'll fill in the gaps of your lack of intimacy with God. Don't turn over the responsibility of, to someone else that belongs to you. And then sit back and wonder, why is the world falling apart like it is? Whoa. <laughs> We've given up the things that belong to us to somebody else. Deborah said, Deborah said, listen, I'll go with you. But, but the fight is yours, Barak. And because you needed me to go with you, you won't get the glory from this fight. You won't really even get the victory. I'm going to give the victory to this housewife living in the tent in the middle of nowhere. Sister is just going to show up to her house and she's going to be being faithful to do what she knows to do. This, this, this won't, listen to me, whether you are a woman in here who feels the call to leadership or you feel called to start a business or you feel the call to lead people or you feel the call to ministry or you feel the call to just be a mom and be responsible at your house for your kids. Every one of you are valuable in the battle. Every one of you matter to the victory. So stay at home, home, mom. Would you stop persecuting working mom and working mom? Would you stop persecuting stay at home, mom? You all matter. It took a working mom and a stay at home mom to bring the victory. Yeah. Makes you perceptive. Makes you secure. She was vocal, wasn't she? You read this story, she wasn't afraid to say what she thought. She wasn't, just a, she wasn't just bold about what she said. She's like, I don't even know that she was gifted to write songs, but she wrote a song. She's like, I don't even know. I, I can't even sing. It doesn't even list singing as one of our abilities, but she writes a song. And, and, and the way this song is written in the Hebrew, the, the, the way she would have sung it would have, this is so powerful, would have been to the beat 
they, in the background, while they sang this song, someone would have had a tent peg and a hammer beating. That would be the drum beat in the background of this song. Man, she was vocal. Why was she vocal? She was vocal because she was righteous. Proverbs 28 and 1 says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. But evil people run when no one's even chased. That's why I didn't run track. <laughs> righteous don't run unless somebody's chasing them. <laughs> That's a dad joke. Proverbs, or Psalm 25, 21 says, may integrity and honesty protect me. My integrity, my righteousness doesn't save me, but it can protect me. Years ago, my dad preached a message called, Don't Even Go There. And he was talking about Joseph and how Joseph went into Potiphar's house in that story, knowing that Potiphar wasn't home and knowing that Potiphar's wife wanted a sexual relationship with him. He still went into the house. And my dad preached the message. He said, don't even go there. <laughs> oh, man. You don't have to explain what you avoid. When Potiphar got home, she said, Joseph was over here. And while he was over here cleaning up the house, he assaulted me. Oh, Joseph, if you would have just not even gone there. And some of you, you're like, you're pretending that, you, that you're trying to do the right thing. But you keep putting yourself in situations to do the wrong thing. And you wonder why you keep doing the wrong thing. So the Bible says your integrity, will, it'll protect you. Because it's easier to say I wasn't there than to say I didn't do it wasn't even there you can check the location on my phone wasn't even there I, listen to me I was in I'm gonna tell you this story this is a very personal story but I'm gonna tell you anyway Monica I think you'll be okay with this but uh we uh, I, I was in Los Angeles one night and a friend invited me over to this place where he he wanted to hang out and uh so I go, I go to this, to this address and I'm driving down the street. And when I'm driving down the street, where, it's, where the pin is on the, on the address, it's, it's, it's the name. I can tell it's clearly the name of a strip club. So I'm like, did my friend who knows me and he's supposed to be saved just invite me? To a strip club. Now it's it's nine o'clock at home, but it's I'm sorry, it's nine o'clock there, but it's midnight at home. And if my wife wakes up and looks at my location on my phone, and it's anywhere near a strip club. <laughs> it's going to be very hard for me to say, honey, I wasn't even there. Well, the location says you were there. 
So I called my friend. I said, bro, I got to get off of this street. We got to go somewhere else. And he wasn't even at, it, it was like a building like to the left of the club. It was like an office building. I was like, I can't even meet you in this office building. Because it's better for me to say I wasn't even there. Come on, somebody, then to explain. And that's how you guard yourself. That's how you guard yourself. I remember hearing stories about Billy Graham. They, they said Billy Graham, would, when he would go to a hotel, he would, buy out, he would buy out the entire floor. He would buy out the entire floor, and they would remove the televisions from the entire floor. Was Billy Graham a weak man spiritually? <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, Billy Graham just wanted to have some integrity. And he wanted to be able to say, I didn't watch that because there wasn't even a TV in the bedroom. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I didn't see her because the whole floor was security. There weren't even other. Mm. We just keep wanting to run up to sin and be like, hey, hey, buddy. And then we wonder why it grabs us and drags us. And you're like, I don't even know how I got here. Yes, you do. You know exactly how you got there. Proverbs 10 and 9 says, People with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will slip and fall. Deborah, she had a relationship with God that produced security, perception, physical strength, supernatural activity, audacity, and authority. And I want that in my life. I want that in my life. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you today. We thank you that you haven't left us helpless, but you have given us a helper. He is the Holy Spirit. And we have an opportunity to have a relationship with you. That's even greater than they experienced in the Old Testament. That's greater than the hand of the Lord coming upon them. But we have an opportunity to have a relationship with the Spirit where you don't just come upon us, but you live in us. We become the place you dwell. And if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives on the inside of us, then anything is possible. We don't have to live according to our flesh. We don't have to be afraid in the battle. The Bible says that even though they had those 9,000 chariots and all of those horses and all of those men, that the people of God, they put them on the run. They put them on the run. And today in Jesus' name, I pray for every man and every woman in this space today that whoever is coming against them, whatever is coming against them, whatever attack has come their way, that by the power of God, they would stand and be who they have been called to be and put the devil on the run. In the name of Jesus, we pray. There is no attack that is too great there is no weapon that is too great. We are, not, we are not losing because we don't have the right weapons. We lose when we don't obey. 
So help us obey today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody in the room said amen. Would you stand on your feet with me today? As you're standing on your feet, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would. If there's anybody in this room today who would say, Robbie, man, I feel far from God. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. You are in this room today and you are a sinner in need of a savior. You have never accepted his forgiveness. He has never come in and made you brand new and secured your eternity. If that is you, I wanna pray with you today. And maybe you're in the room today and you have drifted away from the Lord. And like Barak, God has asked some things of you and you haven't responded to those things. And, and I'm here today to remind you, has not God said to you, has the Lord not said, this is a reminder that you are not, you are not forgotten, you are not forsaken, you are still his, but today you need to make your way home. So if that's you, you're in the room and you need to make a decision that is, that is putting Jesus at the head of your life or you're here today and you need to come back and say, God, I hear what you're saying and that's time for me to obey. If that's you, I'm gonna count to three. And when I do, I just want your hand to go up in the air and we're gonna pray a prayer together. And I believe in these moments that as we put our faith in Jesus, that he's gonna supernaturally transform your life. If that's you, one, two, three, throw that hand up in the air. If that's you, I see you. Hands everywhere in the room, I see you. Come on, let's all pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, take my life, take all of it. I love you. Thank you for loving me. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. Thank you for receiving me, saving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Come on, Calvary, let's put our hands together for those that lifted their hands today. What a moment. What a moment. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. If you made that decision today, we'd love to connect with you. You can come up to the front. Our altar team will be up front or you can text the word decision to the number on the screen and we'll connect with you. But thank you so much for being here. Also, if you're here today and you just need prayer for something, our prayer team is also up front to pray with you. We love you. God bless you. Come on, rise up spiritually and there will be nothing impossible for you. Amen.